0: powerful word of God can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn to your neighbor and just look at him and say, wow, you are good looking today. I didn't think it would quite uh, bring that out in everybody. (laughs) Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed our series that we just finished, Not a Fan. I hope that the effects of that that lesson, that series, will carry on. We do have those online, so please, if you missed any of them, go back and grab those and listen. Uh, We still have a a copy of the book on the back table. Uh, Just take it. If you don't have a copy, take it. Uh, I'd rather you take it than not worry about whether you had $5 to put in that basket. Because I want you to read, I want you to grow. Uh, my greatest desire is for you to grow. And that you know God in such a deep, personal way that nothing can shake you. We live in a time, a perilous time, folks. Uh, if you watch the news, and I'm sure you do, uh, there's, there's crazy people running loose all over the world and in our country doing some crazy things. And, uh, boy, you you just never know what every day is going to bring. You just never know if you're going to have, if today's your last day. So my greatest desire for you is that you have such a relationship with Jesus that it doesn't matter. If today ended it all for you, you can rejoice. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Boy, that's how we need to live, isn't it? Live as though you're leaving here today. Tug McGraw was quite a baseball pitcher. He won two World Series with the New York Mets, he was one of the best closing pitchers the Philadelphia Phillies had in their history. Tug McGraw was a team cheerleader. He was the guy who coined the phrase, you gotta believe. He might still be on TV today as a game announcer if it hadn't been for the sudden change of his health in 2003. By the time the brain tumor was discovered, doctors told Tug, who at that time was 59 years old, that he had three weeks to live. Three weeks. He lived nine months, pouring his time into his family, into a legacy dedicated to curing brain cancer and even to reconciling with a part of his past that he had tried to ignore. He had a wife and kids, but he also had another son that he had ignored. The mother was named Elizabeth D'Agostino. She didn't tell her son about her famous, or his famous father, in part because she wanted to move past that particular part of her life, also. But her son found his birth certificate and made the most shocking discovery of his life. His favorite baseball player was also his father. Tim changed his name from Tim Trimble to Tim McGraw. Tim found Tug when he was an older teenager, but there was really nothing there, no warm feelings, no immediate connection, no future. But once more, as an adult, Tim tried it again, and the second time, the attraction caught on. Father and son, as strange as it must have seemed to them, became close. And when news came that time was running out, they became closer even still. And in the end, Tug McGraw even died at the Nashville home of Tim McGraw, his son. And in 2004, Tim McGraw wrote a song, Live Like You Were Dying. Stayed on top of the charts for 10 weeks, breaking a record that had stood for 30 years and was named the top country song of the year by Billboard magazine. It was the story of a man who got the news that he was dying. A man made a decision of how he would live with the time he had left. I want to encourage you over the next three or four Sundays, to consider what kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy are people going to be able to speak about you when it's all said and done? Would it make a difference if you learned that you had very little time left? Would it change your priorities if you felt life slipping away? Because in essence, folks, we're all running out of time. The opportunity to leave the legacy that we want is one day shorter today than it was yesterday. The older I get, the more I understand that. And I hope and pray I'm able to stay around long enough to see some things I've always wanted to see. One is to see my son Corey have twin girls. But then I want to pause for a commercial here. Paige, stand up, would you? Paige Parmenter, stand up. All of you, look at Paige. Now that I've had her stood up and embarrassed her to death. Okay, you can sit down. But I wanted Paige to stand up for one reason. We talk about our athletes a lot and how proud of them we are and all of our young people. And sometimes when they get out of high school we We kind of they slip away from us but Paige is one of those rare kids that's hung around and I appreciate her I hug her all every time I can I can and every time I see her she went two years to TCC and then uh, was was going to NSU to study her degree will be in um, uh, special education to be a special ed teacher and when she got to, T, to uh, NSU, she had one class she needed to take at TCC, and TCC called her and said, hey, you know what? Your grade point average is so good, we're not going to charge you for that class. And I just wanted to compliment her on that. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> now, she has to work at it. You know, some kids, they just have to work at it very hard, but she's had to work at it, and I'm so proud of her. And so proud of that. I mean, just that alone is just awesome. That the school would call and say, hey, we're going we're to pay you to come to school here. So that's awesome. I just think that's great. Now she's not really making any money. But, you know, on the other hand, she's not paying out any either. So good job, Paige. We're proud of you. A man approached one day, Jesus, <clears throat> with the same kind of questions that I've been asking you. We don't know the circumstances of this man. We, we do know that he was wrestling with life issues. Jesus was surrounded at this time by men intent on arguing with him. This man, however, was not one of them. He approached the group and he heard them debating, we're told, in Mark 12. He listened, recognized Jesus as a brilliant teacher, went straight to the heart of the matter. By the way, we're going to be in Mark 12. 28 through 31. We read it earlier. It's a twofold approach to life, actually, that this man approached Jesus with. And Jesus responded to them. He said, Love God and love the people God puts around you. That's really the essence of life. Love God and then love the people that God puts around you. Jesus modeled it perfectly. His legacy had more impact on the world than any individual in history. He didn't leave a legacy of money, property or power instead he left a legacy of loving god completely and sacrificing everything to love us (coughs) if his legacy wasn't so powerful why in 2012 is the whole world the whole world still focused on a little piece of land called israel Why should we as Christians support Israel? Because our Savior came from there. You need no other reason. Now, they're lost without a knowledge of Jesus, a saving relationship with Jesus, because you can know about him and still be lost. I can know about diabetes and still have it. (laughs) I can know how I'm supposed to eat and still don't. For some reason, Cindy let me go to the store last night. And for some reason, I don't know how it happened, I got home with a batch of cookie things to make. And she saw those when I unloaded the groceries. She said, well, how did those get here? Honey, I don't know. I was walking through the store and something just jumped in that basket. I have no idea. And the two that I've had were really, really good. (laughs) They were really, really good. I'm not going to lie to you. But what kind of legacy are we leaving? I I want to take two things away from today. Number one, I want you to leave a legacy of loving God completely. And that's what Jesus is really encouraging these people to do. Love God completely. Because when Jesus asked the most important commandment of all, he quoted the Shema. In Hebrew, it means, hear, O Israel. So important was that phrase, that that was the first phrase that every Jewish child memorized. It was that phrase, hear, O Israel. It was that phrase that they so treasured, that they put it on small scrolls and they rolled it up and they inserted it into small containers and Marked it over the doorways of their homes. The question of the most important commandment had long been settled among God's people. Love the Lord your God. Here's the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your might, with all your spirit. They learned it. They memorized it. They drilled it. Love the Lord your God. Just think, if all of our decisions were made with that as our premise, do I love God more than I love this? Do I love God more than I love this? Boy, it'd make a big difference, wouldn't it? I've watched our folks in church grow, and especially our young people. I've had the privilege to watch them grow, some from the time they were born. And how, What a privilege that is. For a preacher to watch and to see and to watch them grow and attain goodness and greatness I've watched Braden Boy, he's. I love watching him play football his senior year he got called for a penalty last Thursday night it was a cheap call I wanted to let the referee know exactly what I thought but the more mature person said don't say a word it would be better that you stay on the sideline instead of being escorted out of, the, out of the stadium. Three plays later, they ran the same play. He did the same coverage, and they didn't call the penalty. And I wondered what happened. And it finally dawned on me that that referee finally got a revelation from God. <laughs> Either that or he saw me on the sideline. <laughs> I'm not sure what he saw. But I'm so excited to, to be able to watch him blossom and to grow. And to watch other young people. To watch Paige. She's gone through the high school program. And she's a productive young adult in college. It's awesome to see. I've watched our own children grow up here. And watch them be productive young men. And marry godly women. It's just exciting to watch, folks. To see. And I hope that you are seeing that in in your own life. But we've got to build these legacies. And make sure, make sure that we're loving God completely. And so the question, the important commandment that was being asked of Jesus had long really been settled in the minds of, the, uh, uh, of God's people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and spirit. And all of Israel knew that truth. But knowing the truth was the easy part, pulling it off much more difficult but not for Jesus, because he loved God completely. He wasn't interested in power, wealth, or popularity. He was passionate about God. He depended on God through prayer, through knowing the scriptures, and by submitting to God's will, even at the cost of his own life. And those, folks, are the calls for you and me. We need to depend on God through prayer, know him through scripture, and submit to his will, even if it means giving up what I may want, for the sake of somebody else. Amen? Yeah, when you pull into the parking lot, doesn't it just chap you up one side and down the other that all the handicapped parking places are right up by the door? And they don't have one, they've got 900 of them. And the one that you can finally park in that doesn't have one that blue, blue thing painted on it, it seems like it's a half a day walk away from the store. Don't you ever get, want to get out of the car and just limp or something so you could park in one of those. But you know what? It's really important that we go ahead and park a long ways away because somebody who really needs that needs it. When I had the boot on my foot, I used to love to go shopping with Cindy because then I could get in that motorized cart and ride around. That was fun. She said, you're just speeding through the store. I said, hang on, baby. Here we go. It was great. But when I got out of the boot, she said, well, you got to walk again. I said, I don't want to walk again. I've been, been riding this thing. And I, and I was going to go in and go ahead and get in one. And I saw a guy walking in, dragging a leg with his walker. And there was one left. And if I'd have been selfish, I'd have got that and took off. And he'd have been sitting there. So, you know. We need to demonstrate our dependence on God through prayer, through knowing the scripture and submitting to his will. What's involved in loving God completely? Well, maybe the better question is what's not involved? And according to Mark 10, verses 17 through 22, and I have that referenced for you in your outline, another man approached Jesus, and it's a story you've heard before. Jesus desperately... This guy's desperately wanting to know God better and to please God more. Runs up to Jesus, falls on his knees, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, well, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't uh, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man on his knees insists that he's kept all those rules. He didn't. He merely claimed the external righteousness That wealthy Jews of his time believed they could pursue through almsgiving, yet still on his knees, still waiting to answer, to hear the answer, obviously something missing. Jesus looks at him and he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And the story goes on, it says the man's countenance fell. I don't know about you, but that's a sad part of scripture. The man's countenance fell. He left overwhelmed with emotion. This is where we learn that he was also a very wealthy person. And the problem that he faced is that he loved his wealth much more than he could give it away. Now I know that you've probably played the same game I have in my mind, that if I played the lottery and I won the lottery, And I won 400 million, billion, trillion, zillion dollars. That I would help so many people. God, if you would just bless me with that money. And what usually happens? Oh man, they get greedy. Because the first thing they do is go buy all the stuff they've always wanted to have, stuff that they've always wanted to have, and they couldn't have. So they they go and get the stuff. And then they get stuff for everybody that they love, and then everybody who thinks that they should be loved wants stuff, too. And they start getting calls from people that they never even knew were related to them, but all of a sudden they are. And they think, you should really help me, because now you don't have any problems. The sadness of it is like the girl in Michigan that won the lottery but still drew her, her food stamps she said i still have needs though she had all this money she died recently by the way from a drug overdose i guess money can't get it all for you huh and this rich young ruler found that out so if loving god completely meant submitting every bit of his money to god he couldn't cross that line so he proved He proved that he had been untruthful. He claimed to have kept all the law since his youth, but he walked away having broken that greatest commandment. He fell into the category of knowing the truth, but not putting it into practice. How many of us know what to do, but don't do it? We instead hold on to our traditions. We instead hold on to our opinions. We instead say, well, not me. It will be someone else. Problem is someone else never shows. They never come. Wouldn't you like to have somebody come clean your house every week? Sure. Sure. Especially the bathrooms. Please. Why should I have to do it? You come and do it. And the you come and do it never shows up. Unless you pay the money. And then you're critical of how they clean it because they don't do it right. Well, then you quit paying them money and guess what they won't come anymore and then you get to clean it the way you know how to clean it the, amen if i could just have my meals prepared for me boy i would man i'd lose weight i'll guarantee you if i could just have meals prepared for me really how'd that work for oprah she hired a chef he lived with her he took care of every meal, every bite she put in her mouth, he, he made sure it was just the right kind of health and, and everything. And then she got tired, she started going down to the burger bar. <laughs> and guess what? <laughs> she turned into an O again. <laughs> she went down to a V, and now she was an O again. Yeah, there you go. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. People see it But they simply can't forget it people want it but they don't want to give it and show it so that others get it historians tell us that two plagues swept through the roman empire while christians were being incredibly persecuted the antonine plague was the first a little more than a century past the life of christ then there was the plague of cyprian which came about a century after that And one of the documents says that in Rome, where a million people lived, as many as 5,000 were dying each day. The bodies rotting in the streets, adding to to that environment of disease and filth, the epidemic filling the people with absolute fear, so devastating that when the first symptoms appeared in some villages, they just simply fled. Those villages emptied out, they left the sick behind, nobody to tend to them, nobody to care for them, there was no cure There was no hope. So they left these sick family members in their beds and they all ran for their lives. But Christians didn't run. They stayed and they brought water to the sick. They fed them. They changed their bandages. They spoke kindly to them. They loved and encouraged them. And they got sick in the process and there's no telling how many of them were saved because Christians served and there's no telling how many Christians lost their lives because they stayed behind. But the world is different today Because in the middle of devastating despair, we might call it overwhelming darkness, those who followed Christ saw an opportunity to shine. We're in a time like that. You and I are in a time like that when people's hope, they need hope. They need to know that it's going to be okay because our God is still on the throne. It doesn't matter what happens on November 6th. It doesn't matter. Because our God is still on the throne. And he'll stay on the throne until, G- until the Father says, Son, let's go back and get him. Then he'll get up, trumpets will sound, and here they come. <laughs> and those that are dead in Christ are going to rise first. We're going to see some dead men walking. Here I go. And what you and I going to do, we're going to stand there and wait. Okay, 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 okay. And then what we hope is, once we see all of them going, that we get to kind of rise with us, amen? Now, I don't know about you, it's going to take some wings, good set of wings to get this old boy up off the ground. <laughs> but my God is able, amen? Some of you flyweights, I'll just hang on to you, and he'll pull us both up there, praise God. But we've got an opportunity to shine. Jesus wouldn't have left the sick to fend for themselves. Jesus... He would have stayed. Jesus would have healed. Jesus would have loved. So they did what Jesus would have done. And the people of the world were stunned at the difference that love made. The way the people acted, it was as different as light is from darkness. And that's why the Roman Empire changed so dramatically. Is because people could not ignore the actions of the people who loved God so passionately that they would be willing to give up their very lives in the service of God. When you speak the gospel of salvation from sin to a people who have witnessed Christian love in action, the lost will be saved. The lost will be saved. You can't bully people into the kingdom. You can't legislate a nation into following Christ, but you can love them. You can shine the light of Jesus upon them, and then you can speak the truth. The church body that decides to use its resources to sacrificially love its community will discover that it holds more power than any person or group in political power. You need to understand something. The city of Jinx does not allow in the city parks inflatables to be used in any way. That's what we've discovered until now. We, we made our request, and they asked me why we wanted electric. I said, well, we wanted to be able to have inflatables. To which they, the lady said, oh, we do not allow that in any of our city parks here in Jenks. I said, oh, I was unaware of that. Okay, thank you. And then about a week later, she called, and she said the city council met, and they approved your... Uh, your uh, uh, form I said oh that's great she said, and by the way they said any inflatables that you want as many as you want you'll be more than happy to use I said really she said yes that's it's really surprising to me I said really <laughs> well okay fine uh, we'll just have a couple that's all I need a generator by the way Does anybody got a generator that let us borrow that day if you do please let me know but anyway, is that not awesome? Is that not awesome? See, they don't hear me talking bad about him over here. And you told me to quit talking bad about him, start praying for him. So I do now. I pray for him all the time. Wow, what God can do. What God can do. A legacy of loving God completely. And then secondly, I hope that you will develop a legacy of loving others. Because see, Jesus adds to that great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. He adds this, love others as you love yourself. There was a raging debate in that day between two points of view on keeping the commandments. One group argued that to properly love God, one must keep his commands, even if those commands kept you from helping a person in need. And if the person was in need on the Sabbath, it would require work to help him, then it would be better to keep the Sabbath. The second group argued that a person in need trumped the law of the Sabbath. When Jesus answered the, or added to the answer, love your neighbor as yourself, he also was identifying with that second group. And then Jesus goes a little further, and in a strikingly similar story, an expert of the law testing Jesus with the question of eternal life, Jesus responds to his question with a question. The man promptly answered with the familiar words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he added, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus congratulated him on that second answer. And then he asked him this, and who is my neighbor? And then he promptly tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, certainly making most in the group cringe. (laughs) How dare he cross racial lines as part of being a good neighbor! But as it turns out, loving your neighbor completely is very similar to loving God completely. It will take your entire heart, mind, soul, and strength to get the job done, and it is impossible to do apart from Christ. Can't do it. But Jesus loved his neighbor perfectly. He was constantly criticized for befriending sinners. Sometimes they were prostitutes, other times they were tax collectors, those white-collar criminals of their day. Jesus loved the religious people around him who had excellent morals like the rich young ruler. He was as comfortable in the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary as he was in the home of Zacchaeus. Jesus loved them all until he had breathed his last. He would not even hate those who nailed him to the cross. Instead, with great pain and taking and with suffering great pain, he looked from the cross and asked God to forgive them. Wow. And yet, we sometimes think our opinions supersede God. Our opinions supersede God's word. Just because it's your opinion, it's only binding on you and nobody else. (laughs) But we need to be careful about how we are. You ask any pastor who spent a career preaching funeral sermons, and as families and friends gather to talk about their loved one, they almost never mention work or money, unless those stories deal with how that person gave to others. Instead, those stories come out about how the fathers read mothers stopped to play with their kids they'll tell of vacations and days when they finally understood the sacrifice of giving of a giving grandparent they'll tell of letters written special days of worship and being loved but strangely enough it usually catches us by surprise to find that the things others considered most about us is not how successful we might have been but rather how much we loved them It's in loving others that we best show how we love God. But Jesus loved his neighbor. We can love our neighbors by the power of his spirit in us. In his book, The Enormous Exception, Earl Palmer tells about a pre-med graduate, undergrad, I should say, at the University of California, Berkeley, who became a Christian after a long journey through doubts and questions, about what the flu kept him out of. Class for 10 days. During that critical absence in an organic chemistry class, a Christian classmate carefully collected all the missed lectures and assignments, and then that person took his from his own study time and helped his friend get caught up with class. Years later, the pre med student, now a committed Christian, tells Palmer, You know that. This just isn't done, and I probably wouldn't have done it, but he gave that help to me without any fanfare or complaints. I wanted to know what made this friend of mine act the way he did, so I found myself asking him if I could go to church with him. I think the best tribute I ever heard concerning a Christian was the tribute spoken of this student that was said, I felt more alive when I was around this friend. Don't underestimate the importance of Jesus' loving your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. you will treat people differently. When you read one of the last parables in Matthew's Gospel, it's easy to see that Jesus took that very seriously. He was, it was the story of the sheep and the goats. And in the separating process, all parties wanted to know why they'd missed their reward because they were goats, or why they'd received their reward because they were sheep. And in both cases, according to Matthew 25, The deciding factor was whether or not those facing judgment had loved others. They either had or had not fed the hungry, satisfied the thirsty, housed the stranger, clothed the naked, ministered to the sick, visited them in prison. When it comes to judgment, Jesus shows us that we will be separated according to what we are. What we are determines what we do. What we are determines what we do. Jesus' sheep follow his voice. They do what he does. They love their neighbor. They love their neighbor. Everyone leaves a legacy for good, bad, even indifferent. We all leave footprints behind us. We will be remembered for our generosity, or selfishness. Those who mourn us will talk about the ways we love them or the ways we neglected them. There's only one way to leave a Christ-like legacy, to leave footprints that will last. You can't do it on your own. And you can't find life in loving God and loving your neighbor because that is the law. Scripture makes clear that the letter kills, but the gospel brings life. So today, we should receive Christ and receive His offer of mercy. Today, let Him fill you with His Spirit and then just watch in amazement how He empowers and teaches you how to love other people. Father, I ask you this morning, to just do a work in us. We're just pots of clay in need of the potter. We're broken. We're cracked. We leak. But we need you To heal us, to reconcile us, and to love us. And then we, in turn, need to heal, reconcile, and love others. But God, we've got to start with that person that we look at in the mirror every day. I can't help someone until I take care of me. I can't expect someone until I'm ready to be that someone. I can't expect others until I'm willing to, no matter what it takes, to make an atmosphere, a circumstance where they can feel loved, appreciated, accepted, no matter what. No matter where, no matter how. And God, we worship you and we praise you. I can do that in the front seat of my car. I can do that at a picnic table in a park. I can do that in this building. I can do that on the sideline of a football game. I can do that in my backyard on my patio. You see, God, I'm not limited by the surroundings, because according to your teaching in Scripture, you aren't bound by a building anymore. When you reached up to the veil when Jesus died and you tore it from top to bottom, you said, hey, everything changes. Everything changed. And so, God, you told me that you live in me. And so because you live in me and your spirit lives in me and resides in me, I now, I now can become that light that shines. I now can love others. I now can express and share the salvation and the glory of knowing Jesus. So, God, today, would there be one person in this room that would say, tired of running? Tired of fighting? I'm ready to surrender. Would there be maybe another person that would say, you know, I've fought against you for a long time, God. I'm going to start surrendering to you and just do what you've asked me to do. I want to be obedient. Instead of telling you what to do, I'm going to be responsive to you and the promptings you put in me. Because God, it doesn't matter what we do or say. It only matters what you do or say through us. Is there somebody, God, that will respond in Jesus' name? Amen. Let's stand and sing.